Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Are you like most everyone and dread being interviewed for a job or sitting across from your manager for your performance eval? If you are, you're not alone. These situations make us feel like we're being judged and assessed by someone else because we are. I'm going to talk about how to best prepare yourself for situations like these and how you can help the people on your team prepare as well. And we get to do this as we watch the ninth episode of the first season of Lower Decks, Crisis Point. The USS Cerritos is in the middle of a mission on some random planet. Not a lot of details here. I'm pretty sure it's probably not important to the story. But here we are. They overthrew some evilish leader, and Ensign Mariner is basking in her success. The lizard men will no longer be subject to rat oppression. Apparently, the rats were raising the lizards as food. But turns out she overstepped her bounds here. Captain Freeman beams down. Starfleet is forbidden from interfering in your planetary politics. Well, that's disappointing. They go toe-to-toe, arguing about their authority, and Freeman takes a different approach. Instead of sending her to the brig, like she's done in the past, she sends her to therapy. We get a scene with Dr. Miglamo trying really hard to do therapy, but, but he just makes awkward food references. I'm going to be honest here, this guy is probably my least favorite character on the show. This episode, oh, this episode is a big reason why. But back to it. Rutherford and Tendy are on the holodeck skeet shooting with Janeway's holodeck buddy, Leonardo da Vinci. When Petrarch climbed Mount Verdun and saw all Europe below him, he knew he was witnessing the birth of a new age. While Mariner sulks in the corner, Ensign Boimler strolls in, says he has an eval coming up. He's actually used the logs of all the ship's personnel to create a close-to-real-life version of the Cerritos so he can talk to people, Captain Freeman specifically, and see how they would actually respond to him. He wants to practice his pitch for his eval and see how he can best present himself. Mariner is blown away by this and sees an opportunity. She starts writing a new holodeck program based on Boimler's code. I made it into an awesome movie! 
she's going to use this to handle her own therapy in her own way. This launches into an awesome sequence that just revels in the Star Trek movies. Music, credits, it even goes to a 2.36 scope or, or letterbox aspect ratio. You know, I used to work at a movie theater when we were actual projectionists that handled film. I know that probably dates me, but this was so well done. Like, there's a slight grain to the picture. There's even these subtle film scratches from time to time. It looks and it sounds incredible. The movie is called Crisis Point, The Rise of Vindicta. We're in. The scenes all progress just the way all the movies do, except Boimler keeps interjecting himself trying to find out what he can do or say to impress Freeman. One of my favorite scenes is when they fly to the Cerritos. It's straight out of the motion picture, and even Enterprise's broken bow. They're in a shuttle, and they spend like 90 seconds doing a flyover of the ship with everybody ooing and aahing over it. It's poking fun at the nearly five-minute-long scene in the motion picture, but it's really well done in the music. It's the music that brings it home. But I've always had a maybe controversial thought on this. Because of the transporter, they likely almost never see the outside of the ship. They're inside the thing all the time. So, so why does seeing it on the outside cause all the feels? I would think that that would happen. And light spoiler alert on recent Star Trek. But I think that would happen when they get on the bridge or to their duty station again. But for us, for the viewer, yeah, this is pretty awesome. From here, they're on a contrived mission set up to get them to the character that Mariner is playing, Vindicta. Vindicta has teamed up with Tendi as a savage warrior queen and Rutherford as Bionic 5. She's focused on one thing and one thing only. At last, free man, I will bathe in your blood. She is laying in to Freeman, saying all the super mean things that she's been thinking and wanting to say. But she's also getting way over the top aggressive and super violent. She's blasting people, attacking them. She is way out of line, so much so that Tendi calls it quits and she walks out at one point. There's an awesome moment when they realize what a thorough job Boimler did, where Rutherford makes a decision. So I can say whatever I want to my boss with no consequences? And once he's face to face with Billups, his boss, he says... You think you're the best engineer in the fleet. Well, I've wanted to say something to you for a long time. You are the best engineer in the fleet. Oh, I love it. This is such a great callback to Envoys when the joke was that people were supportive of Rutherford's professional development. Well, Vindicta and Freeman finally come face to face. She does exactly what she said she was going to do, and she starts some therapy stuff, albeit without a trained professional helping or guiding the conversation, but but still, she starts getting it out. I don't want your ship. I want you to stop treating me like I'm the bad guy all the time. You are the bad guy. No, I'm not. Why don't you ever side with me? It goes south really quick, though. She blows up the Cerritos, leading to the scene straight from Star Trek Generations when the saucer section crashes on a planet's surface. But then, the real stuff, the heavy stuff starts happening. 
Remember that Boimler programmed everyone into this simulation? Well, that includes Mariner. So she ends up coming face to face with herself. If you really were a badass, you'd do the hard thing and just be a good officer. Wow. This really helps her understand her thinking. She leaves the program and runs into Freeman in the corridor. Sorry about earlier today. I was way out of line. Thanks for looking out. A totally different approach. But Boimler isn't done. He's still trying to learn what he can from his program, but what he learns is completely unexpected. As a mother, it was a privilege to call Mariner my daughter. Wait, what? That's it. The cat's out of the bag. Boimler knows their biggest secret, and knowing this causes him to totally blow his eval with Freeman. Maybe he should listen to the command code section of this podcast for some tips on effectively presenting himself in situations just like this. I love this episode. It really encapsulates so much of what makes this series so good. Deep cut references, Easter eggs, and a loving attention to detail that hardcore fans can absolutely appreciate. This one has a crystal clear theme to it though. And on top of talking about some of the cool moments in this one, we're going to talk about its theme. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support this podcast. This episode did such a great job in exposing the formula of the Star Trek films. All sci-fi, TV to movies, really. And it did it so well. We see our familiar heroes in a different, higher-budget activity, usually some kind of team-building thing that kind of looks like it has stakes to it, but, but it's really all in fun. Then they get a call for an unexpected emergency. This is not a drill. And they're off. They even brightened up the bridge. They added a bunch of lens flares to the scene. Oh, it's so good. But in that, they made a lot of obvious and some really deep-cut references to other movies and Star Trek projects. I already talked about the flyover of the Cerritos. I heard a rumor on that, that the showrunner, Mike McMahon, wanted to do a special cut of that scene that would have lasted two hours. It's a fun idea, but I'm honestly kind of glad it got shot down. Two hours later. Throughout the episode, the music was masterfully done. Homages to the movies, but always coming around to the Lower Decks theme. Mariner, as Vindicta, quotes classic literature, a la Khan reciting Melville, and General Chang quoting Shakespeare. Pah, 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 there was the saucer section thing from Generations, and then, at the end, during the credits, they did the signature on the screen thing from Star Trek VI. And then after the credits, they showed a photon torpedo tube on the surface of a planet, where Vindicta will likely rise again, just like in Star Trek III. But I think my favorite was a really super, super deep cut. It's okay, you were kind of a zon, to be honest. You probably weren't going to make the final cut. After the original and animated series went off the air, Star Trek went through a lot of concepts. There was a will to bring it back, but no one was quite sure how to do it. There were a lot of ideas and concepts that went around, but, but one of the first to get the initial go-ahead was a thing called the God Thing. After that was Star Trek, Planet of the Titans. Those were both going to be theatrical release films, and they were both left in the dust, and the next focus was a new TV series that was going to be called Star Trek Phase 2. Wow, that's imaginative. Well, a lot of work actually went into this project. There's test footage, a lot about it out there. 
but eventually it became what we now know as Star Trek The Motion Picture. Will Decker and Ilea are two characters, along with the refitted Enterprise, that made it from the Phase 2 concepts into the motion picture. But one character that didn't make it was Zahn. Leonard Nimoy declined the offer to be a part of Phase 2 as Spock. See, they only wanted him in two of the first 13 episodes. But they still wanted to have a Vulcan science officer. Enter Zahn. I don't feel an attack is the logical approach at this moment. And for Mariner to reference him in this episode is epic. Such a deep cut. Like, you have to be the kind of Star Trek fan that is doing a lot more than just watching the show. And even then, you've got to dig down some real rabbit holes to get to Zahn. And she just dropped it in this one. Oh, I love it. This episode did two other really important things, though. It pushed back against the fact that races, other than humans in Star Trek, tend to be totally homogenized, really, really across all sci-fi. The way they did it, though, is a way that applies to us today, and it calls out our biases and our tendency to apply stereotypes to people. You know the whole Orions taking slaves thing? It's not something I really like to... This is a thing Lower Decks brings up quite a bit with Tendi, even having her lean in to some of the stereotypes at different times. But, but here... It kind of slapped Mariner, and frankly, each of us, in the face with the reality that we often find ourselves doing this to people. But the clear theme in this one is... Therapy works! Guys, therapy works! Her methods aren't something I would recommend, but, but hey, I'm not a doctor. But I do know a doctor, and they also said they wouldn't recommend doing therapy like this. Having that professional guidance is actually necessary and can likely prevent you from phasering a whole bunch of holographic people. But I think the way they handled this can speak to a lot of people. At the beginning of the episode, she would rather go to the brig than have to go to therapy. And then we learn why. Honestly, the ship has a terrible, terrible therapist. But once she gets into it, she's eager to actually go do the work. I'm gonna work some out. But she is so right, and so is the episode. Therapy does work, and it is super helpful. You just have to find the right match. So for what it's worth, coming from me, Take your time and meet a few therapists. Find the one that works for you. And then, just like Mariner, you can work some shit out. Oh, and one more thing. Even here on this theme, they totally hit a Star Trek deep cut. No, it's the 80s, dude. We don't have psychiatric problems. When The Next Generation first came on the air, people hated it. And one of their big complaints was a bald captain. Roddenberry's response was that in the 24th century, people aren't bothered by things like that. So, I know it's kind of a stretch, but this is one of those moments that modern Star Trek takes to uh, kind of poke fun at its younger self. And this was a good one. Command codes verified. One of the most difficult, counterintuitive, and often humiliating things we all have to go through in our professional lives is presenting ourselves to others. Honestly, to be assessed and judged. Performance reviews, quarterly evals, job interviews, the list goes on and on. In this episode, Ensign Boimler took an approach to prepare for an opportunity and, well, it didn't go so well. So I'm going to share a dramatically better way to approach these things. But before that, the cold open of this episode is going to give us a chance to revisit the ideas of empowerment, autonomy, and alignment. Come to Quark's Crisis Fund. Come right now. Go Quark. Run! Before we get into the normal ad break here, given the topic coming up here in the command code section, 
I want to share a great podcast with you. My buddy, Mac, has a jobs board with a ton of invaluable resources. You can visit that at maxlist.org. That's M-A-C-S list.org. But because this is a podcast, I'm also going to share his podcast. He hosts the Find Your Dream Job podcast, where he shares wisdom and brings on guests from around the world to help people do exactly what the podcast is called, Find Your Dream Job. You can find your dream job anywhere you get your podcasts or at maxlist.org slash podcasts. In the 30th episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, Discovery, Choose Your Pain, I talked about the incredible performance review that Saru set up for himself. Now, there's a tool that enables you to do the same thing for yourself and your teams. For your free copy of this tool, visit starfleetleadership.academy and join the mailing list. You'll not only get a free copy of this incredible tool, but you'll also hear about other cool things going on with the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Visit starfleetleadership.academy today and get your free copy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. The episode starts off in its cold open with Mariner freeing a bunch of lizard people from an oppressive rat overlord that has been breeding them for food. I mean, really, who hasn't been there before? But this is about the Prime Directive. We've talked about that before, and Star Trek sure has too. Basically, it's their non-interference rule. Starfleet doesn't mess with less technologically advanced civilizations. Of course, the, the franchise is littered with exceptions to that directive, but it applies to the degree the plot needs it to. For our purposes, it beautifully sets up a great discussion point. Back in the 75th episode of the podcast, Enterprise Canamar, I talked about empowering your teams to do what they need to do to achieve their goals or mission. I used Nordstrom as an example of the impacts this can have. But even in that example, and even more specifically in the 68th episode, the animated series, The Infinite Vulcan, I talked about the need to be crystal clear in what the goals are and what the rules or guidelines are. What are the boundaries you have to work within? Like, if your sole goal is to make money as a business, would you be okay if your employees beat people up and stole their wallets? I mean, I would hope not. I imagine you would have rules, right? Processes, policies on how you would want to make money, how you would want to achieve that goal. That applies here as well. In the Federation and in Starfleet, they want to root out injustice and be sure that every species, as long as they're technologically advanced enough, has a shot at a meaningful existence. And that's what Mariner did on this planet. She was sure proud of herself for doing it too. My captain's on the way right now. It's funny, normally I'm like a huge disappointment to her, but this time she's gonna be pumped that I rooted out injustice. The failure here, or the opportunity, is with Captain Freeman. It's up to the leader to provide the clarity of purpose on the team. Not just the thing you do, or the widgets you make, 
but how and why you do these things. My earlier example about making money was a little extreme. Because at least as a rich man, when I have to face my problems, I show up in the back of a limo wearing a $2,000 suit. But it illustrates the point pretty well, I think. But another example I thought of, it's a little less far-fetched, but that's assuming common sense is common, and well, we all know how that goes, right? But another example is my first job when I was in high school. See, I washed dishes. At a high level, I had two jobs, right? Get the pots and pans clean and do it faster than the cooks were going to need them. I imagine a lot of you know this, right? But when you scrub pots at a restaurant, there are four stages. Scrape and spray, wash, rinse, and sanitize. It's pretty straightforward, right? But on a weekend or a holiday when it was busy, I'd feel the pressure from the kitchen. If I didn't have an incredible manager that provided extreme clarity on how things were to be done, I probably would have combined the last two steps, rinsing and, well, sort of sanitizing at once. It would have saved a little bit of time, and on days like those, every bit of time mattered. But I would have been endangering the health of our customers, and that was not okay. You can insert your own example here, too. What's something in your world where speed and quality are often at odds? Data entry comes to mind for me. People that are really good at that job, they type lightning fast and with precision accuracy. Or you can do it like I do it. I follow the Mitch Hedberg approach to data entry. I type 101 words a minute, but it's in my own language. But if you're clear on how the work needs to be done, that balance between things like quality and quantity, they can be achieved. Had Freeman been clear in the how and the why of the work Mariner and crew were doing, this wouldn't have happened. Starfleet would have better achieved this mission, and the blow-up between Mariner and Freeman would have happened over something else. But the point is to do the right work at the right time in the right way. It's not to avoid the blow-up or avoid getting in trouble. In fact, I think we approach so many things trying to avoid the wrong thing instead of trying to achieve the right thing. Like, take Boimler in this episode. He's going to be evaluated and interviewed for a diplomatic opportunity. He wants to do well, but he is focused on avoiding what is wrong. Problem is, I don't know how eager to please. Instead of what is right, or in this case, his strengths, what he has to offer. I'm going to use a scenario here that's familiar to most everyone. We all go through it at one point, and with a few exceptions, we all dread it. The job interview. According to a 2022 study that I just made up in my head, but is probably close to the truth, there have been about 14,394,047 articles written about how to interview effectively. And they all say pretty much the same things, right? Research the company and the job. Practice the standard interview questions. Be comfortable, but also present yourself professionally. Some even offer models you can follow, like the scenario, task, action, and result, or STAR model, which is a great guide for prepping your answers. But, but here, in a moment, I'm going to share with you the most powerful advice that I've ever been able to give that you likely won't find in that multitude of articles. Before that, though, I wanted to talk about how this very common advice 
leads to what Boimler did in this episode. Yeah, all I gotta do is feed it a scenario, then the simulated crew fills in the blanks. It'll give me an edge in my interview. <clears throat> he made an entire holodeck program, arguably violating everybody's privacy for the sole purpose of testing things out on a fake, no-stakes captain. Honestly, I mean, if we're being real here, how cool would that be? Having the ability to basically Groundhog's Day your way to the perfect interview for the person or the people you're being interviewed by? Oh, heck yes. Just like Boimler did, you could snag some sweet nuggets and tips. Captain's got a sweet tooth. Cookies are a good move. I've done it myself. But in doing this, you're also doing yourself a massive disservice. Of course, we can't do what Boimler did. But I know what a lot of people do do. They have that burner LinkedIn profile so they can stock the hiring manager's profile without alerting them that they looked at it. They pull anything they can to try and find a way to connect with them. They try to get a feel for what they're into and, and maybe even what they don't like. But, but do you notice where the focus is in all of this? It's on, it's on the other person. It's on the hiring manager. This approach is about changing how you present yourself to best match up with someone else instead of, and here's the big advice for you, instead of presenting you the best you possible and what you have to offer. There is a massive, huge, tremendous misconception about job interviews that I want to bust right here and right now. So many people see the interview as their chance to impress the hiring manager and to convince them to give them the job. Please, sir, I want some more. What? But the interview is a two-way street. It's your opportunity to decide if this is a place and a person that you want to work for. If they're disrespectful of your time in the interview, imagine what working there will be like. If they don't give time or opportunity for you to ask questions, imagine what working there will be like. Do not walk hat in hand into an interview ready to do whatever dance you think the hiring manager wants you to do. Instead, walk into an interview ready to present you and all that you have to offer. Now, this applies to other situations where you're being assessed or effectively judged by someone else too. Performance evals, quarterly target reviews, annual reviews, all that stuff. Focus on you and your strengths. You are sitting in that chair having this conversation because you deserve to be there. You are skilled, experienced, and ready for that next job or that eval score or whatever. So go in there knowing that. Don't worry about the things you think they're going to want to hear. Focus on best presenting what you have to offer. Now back to Boimler. He spent a concerning amount of time preparing for this interview. He wrote a program. He talked to a bunch of fake people. He did a bunch to get ready for this. But he didn't prepare himself to talk about why he is a good candidate for this opportunity. He didn't take his examples and craft them into compelling stories that demonstrate his qualifications and experience. No, he prepared to tell the captain what he thought she would want to hear. And in the end, because he was focused on things other than him, when things got a little weird, it did not go well for him. Ensign Boimler didn't bother to prepare for an interview. Terrible. Now, after watching this episode, that statement seems ridiculous. But I absolutely agree with her. 
if I needed you to give a presentation to a group of executives and you spent a concerning amount of time preparing and learning what their favorite pizza toppings were instead of on the content and delivery of the presentation, I would also say that you didn't bother preparing. In fact, if you did that, I'd note that you wasted everyone's time in a disrespectful way, just like Boimler did with Captain Freeman. So focus on you. Present the best you. You can't expect yourself to adapt to every hiring manager's preference and whim. So instead, show them what you have to offer. If you're going to be turned down for a job, have it be because of you and your experience and them not being a good fit. That's better than getting a job because you changed how you presented yourself and who you were to match what you thought someone else would want to see. Back in the 71st episode of the podcast, DS9's Crossover, I talked about identifying if you are working in a toxic workplace or not. I also invited you to reach out to me if you were, and we'd work to get you out of there. Well, I am so excited to announce that at the time of this recording, two people that reached out have now started new jobs in new environments. I am honored, humbled, and excited to have been a part of their journeys. And the people I'm still partnering with to help them find a new opportunity, I'm excited as well. As much as I love producing and putting out this podcast, being a part of people's real-life leadership journeys is one of the most fulfilling things I can possibly do. If you'd like to invite me to come along with you, either to help leave a toxic work environment, or for a seminar, or one-on-one -on -one consulting, or small group consulting even, reach out! Visit starfleetleadership.academy slash p slash consulting or just click the link in the show notes and let's talk. You can also reach out on Mastodon, SFLA podcast at mastodon.world, Twitter at SFLA podcast and most other social media at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T as in therapy works, A-K-I-N. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? It's the ninth episode of the first season. Wait, wait, again? Do you remember a while back when we had that run of the fifth episode from the third seasons? Well, this is our second 109 in a row. Yeesh. Hope it's not another pattern. It's weird. Well, anyway, it's the ninth episode of the first season of Discovery Into the Forest I Go. When we last left the intrepid crew of the Discovery, the Povins had called the Klingons for a final showdown. And that's where we are. How will Lorca and crew face the might of the Klingons? Will Stamets survive more time in the spore drive? Who will be the better leader, Cole of the Klingons or Captain Lorca? Be here next time for the answers to these and probably a whole bunch of other questions. But until then, ex astra scientia. Hey, Brent. Have you ever seen Babylon 5 before? Babylon 5? Mean that show from the 90s? Yep. No. You want to watch it for the first time? Let's do it. Babylon 5 for the first time. Not a Star Trek podcast. We are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching Babylon 5 for the first time. We're searching for Star Trek-like messages in the series 
in deciding if we should have watched it sooner. You can find us on Good Pods, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Babylon 5, for the first time, not a Star Trek podcast. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Acid.